We're doing something a little different tonight, as Jeremy said, and as we talk about sacraments. And we asked uh, Chuck Olson if Pastor Chuck would start us off and talk a little bit about baptism and how that connects to who we are as a church. Great. Thank you, Scott. Uh, first of all, good to be with you all tonight. And uh, Jeremy, thanks for leading us in worship. It seems like just one glimpse of our Lord and holy, holy, holy seems like the only appropriate words to, to utter. Um, well, it's good to be with you. Um, it's fun to share in some of the highlights that are taking place within the uh, warehouse community. My wife and I were out at the hospital on Tuesday to see little uh, Bethany Grace Tate, and she's just a little, little cutie. And um, then last weekend we were here to see the, the sonogram from Jeremy and Vanessa, so that was pretty cool. Um, and then a couple weeks back, uh, we were here for the family gathering, and then afterwards, uh, Jet comes up to me and he says, "You got to take a look at this." And he pulls out his his uh, camera video deal to show little Ruby taking her first steps. And so, um, being a parent can be a pretty special thing. In uh, just as I lead into the whole area of baptism, um, I want to talk a little bit about um, how that connects uh, to our family. And uh, some of the highlights that uh, have taken place within our home leading up to the issue of baptism. Um, my wife and I have been married for uh, 33 years, and we have uh, two sons. And uh, they are both uh, married, been married for maybe three, four years. And uh, they have brought us uh, a lot of highlights uh, throughout uh, uh, our past years. And some of them are great highlights, and some of them are not so good highlights. Um, I can remember one of the not so good ones was uh, our son in third grade. We got a you know one of those calls. You need to come in and see the the teacher, and so my wife went in and to find out that our son had been um, cheating, looking at someone else's paper during the exam, and then she kind of pulled down her bifocals to look at my wife and says, "Isn't your husband a pastor?" But my wife is quick on her feet, and so she gave a name of a different church. <laughs> so that was so maybe that's where our son got the little idea about cheating. Uh, see how those things happen. Um, yeah, some of the the fun moments uh, are, have been um, to go to um, award ceremonies um, during high school. Uh, my son was an MVP of the basketball team at his high school, and my other son was the MVP of the volleyball team, and certainly that makes a, a dad pretty proud. Uh, going to college graduations, one from USC and one from Point Loma, one with honors and one by the grace of God. <laughs> you know how that, that goes. Um, and then one of our highlights, what happened uh, just actually last Saturday, when um, our older son and his wife invited uh, my wife and I to come uh, to their uh, sonogram she's expecting in November. And so she's, you know, six, seven months along. And this is something I've never experienced before. And so I get to walk into this room and, and see on the screen this little life that's my grandbaby the little one I've been praying for, for for many, many months now. And to see that little heartbeat um, was nothing short of overwhelming. Um, and then I've had the um, privilege to officiate the weddings of, of my sons. 
And there's nothing quite like it to look into their eyes during that time of, of vow and, um, you know, to speak those words and to know of the, the depth and the um, integrity of the commitment they're making to their spouses. And so those have been highlight moments. And, and they even invited me to the bachelor weekends uh, leading up to the, to the um, weddings. And um, those are some pretty powerful moments to be with their friends and their peers. And kind of a culmination uh, took place at one of the bachelor weekends when um, at night we had gathered around a um, hot tub. We're out in the desert, out at the Desert Springs Villas and uh, sitting in this hot tub. And guys are telling stories about uh, my son and laughing, having a great time. And then things got a little serious. And um, one of the guys, a guy by the name of Parker Moffitt, who was one of my son's um, teammates on the volleyball team, began to talk about how Dusty um, had led him to Christ. And if you knew my son, you would know that, you know, that's how he would do that wouldn't be a, a, a normal pathway because he's a pretty regular kid and, and um, my guys don't look like pastors and they're not Bible nerds or something like that. They're just regular everyday guys, but they love Christ. And they, he had this influence um, on Parker and Parker has a twin. And so both Parker and Tom that night talked about how they came to Christ through the witness of my son, and then I had the privilege to then attend the weddings of these two young men who married this great Christian young women, and just to see the um, the full circle in many respects. But without question, as I think about being a parent and the highlight of being a parent, has been the awesome privilege to be a, a part of the salvation uh, experience of my sons. Um, as a young man. When I was five, six years old, my uh, dad one night when he was putting me to bed um, asked me uh, if I understood what it means to be a Christian and shared with me the, the good news and, and wanted to know if I wanted to trust Christ and be a follower of Christ. And so I said, okay, I guess that's pretty much how you do it. And so when I was a dad and, and my guys were turning five, six years old, and uh, I had that opportunity they're at their bedside to ask them the similar kinds of questions and to see them make their own personal expression of faith. But then if you know, five or six, that's still kind of young. And then it comes up, and this word ties into baptism, as um, you know, they turned 12, 13. At our church, we had a, 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 what was called a confirmation ministry and where um, the students would be challenged about their faith, their walk with Christ. And um, one night, uh, my older son comes home from confirmation, and he says, Hey, Dad, um, I want to be baptized. And um, I said, Oh, okay, that sounds pretty cool. Um, and uh, let's talk about it. And uh, so, you know, he's kind of coming out fresh from, from the, the teaching that night. I said, Well, you know, what, what is baptism? And he goes on to say, It's a public proclamation of a personal reality. And I kind of stuck back because he's never put those kinds of words in the same sentences before in any way I've ever heard. And I said, okay, you've been paying attention or you wrote down some pretty good notes from your class that night. What, you know, what does that mean? 
And uh, so he begins to unpack a public proclamation of a personal reality. And I said, well, why don't you tell me about the personal reality? What's that piece? And so he goes on to tell me, it's, well, it's because of the reality that uh, I've made a choice in my life that uh, I needed a Savior and that the Savior's name is Jesus. And as you remember, Dad, you know, I trusted Christ when I was younger. And um, so that personal reality, I want to now give a public proclamation to. I want to go on record. I want the watching world, those that know me, to know that that's a um, reality of my life, not something that's maybe invisible, but something that's very visible. And so uh, we talked that night about the whole area of of water baptism. And uh, we talked about what Scripture has to say about it. And all of us are familiar, when, when Jesus was about ready to leave, he gives his parting words to his followers. And if you've ever been uh, at uh, a deathbed or someplace where someone's about to say the, the last thing they're going to say, you know, you're, you're kind of peaked and ready to hear and paying attention. And Christ says uh, to his followers, he says, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you to the end of the age. And so baptism is, in its very core, is an act of simple, pure obedience to say that's part of the Great Commission, that we would identify with Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, and identify with his church, his body, us together, in such a way that we would say, I want to go on record. I'm not ashamed. I'm not embarrassed. I want the watching world to know that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And God has given to us the sacrament of water baptism as the vehicle in order to do that. Tonight, I got this wedding ring on. You know, if I hadn't mentioned earlier that uh, I'd been married for 33 years, you, you, you may not know that about me. That's a, a personal reality that is made public by the demonstration of wearing a wedding band. And in a similar way, so it is with baptism, is that we get the opportunity to demonstrate to the world that we belong to Christ, that we're a serious Christ follower by participating in water baptism. Uh, Water baptism, there's lots of different traditions in terms of the mode, whether it's um, to be sprinkled or poured or immersed. And here at Lake Avenue, we don't get hung up over the mode. The important thing is the the step of obedience. Uh, The Greek word baptizo uh, speaks of dipping something in a vat, uh, like a vat of dye. And so as you would put a cloth into a vat of dye, it would come out, associated with whatever whatever color was in that vat. And so that immersion shows the identification and taking on uh, our our, our reflection of Jesus Christ. And so my final word to you on the area of water baptism is if you are a believer, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then a step of obedience is water baptism. And Scripture presents it not as an option, Uh, should I or shouldn't I, but rather as a command.
And so uh, tonight I want to challenge you that if you've not taken that step of obedience uh, to do so, and we'll talk more about, I'm sure, tonight what that looks like and when that can happen. Um, but it is an opportunity for those who are in your world to see I'm a follower of Christ, an unashamed, and it's him that I live for. Thank you, Chuck. Um, I obviously am sitting next to the bread and the wine, and so I'm going to speak about communion. And um, I'm actually really excited about speaking about communion. Um, it's actually one of my favorite elements, and I think that's why they, I got picked to do this. But it's also because uh, I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church, and um, they kind of do, they kind of have a big deal with this, um, if you don't know. And, you know, of course, I, I, since then, you know, my journey with God, is, I've stepped away from the Catholic Church, but I still have a great affinity for the Catholic Church. And I feel that, you know, we as Protestants, we have a lot that we can learn from Catholics and vice versa, because we both have incredible strengths and weaknesses. Um, and, and, and furthermore, it, it's a community of believers that we both kind of sit in. That's what I'm going to talk about. Um, I do remember my first communion. I was in second grade. I guess that's the age of accountability for the Catholic Church. Is second grade, you can handle the mystery of the Eucharist. So you go through your little classes, and, and, and the priest, um, you know, then you go and... I remember it was uh, me and my friend Mike Brennan in Fairfax, Virginia, and uh, I forget the name of the church. It's probably St. Mary, St. James, something like that. And um, uh, during the Mass, because everything in the Catholic Church happens during the Mass. If you get married, it's during the Mass. I mean, the Eucharist is still given out. If uh, you, you baptize, it's in the middle of the Mass. Um, the priest calls my friend and I up to the front, and I just remember I'm just so nervous that uh, stepping up the steps under the front platform, I totally trip. And I fall on my hands and my knees and just mortified. And I pop up real quick. And, you know, my face is beat red. And the priest looks down, you know, he's like, are, are you okay? And, you know, I'm like, yes. And uh, he, he says something to the congregation, you know, it's like, look at this young man, so excited to come get communion. He's tripping over himself. And they all get a great laugh. And I was really glad that they weren't laughing at me. Um, but and then from that on, every single week, 52 weeks a year, I took the Eucharist. I had communion as part of my Mass. And I always liked communion, mostly because it was towards the end of the Mass, and I knew that this thing was almost over and I could go home. Um, but it was also a, a great time because I started watching people. And I started seeing the whole congregation systematically get up and come to the front and partake of the elements of the, of the bread and the juice, or in the Catholic Church, the bread and the wine. It was a communal event. And in fact, it's something that, that we can't do as individuals. And a lot of times we, we, we highlight individual piety and we highlight individual devotion, and I'm all for that. I remember when I was in Denver um, at my missionary training school that I was involved in, one of my friends came into the room and she was just glowing. And I was like, you know, what happened to you? She's like, I just had a date with God. And I was like, Describe that to me. What does that mean? And she says, well, I went to the supermarket. I bought some food. I drove up to the foothills. It was a sunset, and I just had this amazing time with God. And I thought that was great. That was amazing. But it was just for her. I couldn't share in that moment. I couldn't share in that divine encounter that she had. And though God is all about the individual, he's all about seeking us out, it's clear from text and the scriptures that his focus is actually on the community. In the Old Testament, we have um, the, the children of God, the Israelites. In Leviticus, of course, God says, you know, I will be your God and you will be my people. That's the whole reason for the covenant. 
And in the New Testament, we have the shift to the church, the body of Christ. As Chuck pointed out, he said, you know, he talked about um, the Great Commission and how that, that, that imperative, that command is actually was given to the group. It wasn't given just to Peter. It wasn't given just to John, but it was to all of them, that all of them were to go out, not as individuals, but as this community, as this, this, this gathering of people. I think it really comes down to the fact of the matter is, is God sees us and we need to recognize that we're really stuck together, whether we like it or not. Now, we as evangelical Protestants stress the act of the forgiveness of sins and the death and suffering of cross through the sharing of the bread and the wine. And we do right. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 11. Whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But Paul's not simply laying out in this text why you partake of this meal. That wasn't what he was writing Corinth about. He was writing to them about how they were taking it. The background is the church in Corinth is that they were actually coming for their own purposes. They were coming for their own agendas. They were a community in division, a community that was in strife with each other. And what in fact happened is they were coming, uh, um, fragments of the community broken off. And Paul actually describes that some of them were coming, they were just drinking the wine and getting drunk, not eating the meal. Some of them were eating so much that others could not be fed. Some people were going hungry. And he uses this meal, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, as his focal point in dealing with unity within the community. And in fact, what he's saying is is we understand that when we come and proclaim the Lord's death, of course, that we need to be right with God before we come. I've heard this preached many, many times that Paul is talking about that you need to be right with God before you come and share this meal. Paul's actually pressing that a little further. And there's not only that vertical element here, but Paul's adding that horizontal element. And he's saying that you need to be right with one another. It's a communal thing as well. And in fact, he's laying it on that if you're not right within your community, then you don't partake of this meal either, or you reap judgment upon yourself, which is pretty strong, but that's Paul's words, not mine. So in a sense, if my wife and I get in a huge fight, big blowout before we come to church, but you know we're going to put on our happy church face before we show up at the door, I shouldn't partake of this meal, and neither should she. If your roommate and you are completely upset at each other, or your brother or sisters in the families, things aren't right, this is not something that you're supposed to come and take right then. Because in fact, to take this, well, as Paul says, reaps judgment on yourself. You aren't right. You aren't reconciled. This is a communal event. And things need to be right in the community. It points then to the strength of the church rests solely in our ability to stand together as a community. And this, of course, is backed up. Jesus' like, greatest prayer for us as a community was, of course, is that we all, in this room, as warehousers, as Lake Avenue, as the body of Christ, we all would be one as he and the Father are one. As a boy watching communion and people coming over, I was witnessing a metaphor. I was witnessing an event that happened week after week and I could merely go through it and be like, great, my hour is done, I got my check, I got my stamp, I'm out. I did that for years, years. Um, 
But it's more than that. It's an actual picture of what we are to do as the community of God. We come together. We experience God together. We share a meal together. And this meal symbolizes not just merely the forgiveness of sins. Yes, that is there, and that is a cornerstone of our faith, but it's so much more than that. It's the fact that we as a community together can come together into God's presence. We can encounter the divine God. We can encounter Christ. We can have fellowship in the Holy Spirit. And we can sit here as peoples whose sins do not count against them. That's a miraculous event. And in fact, we can't do this as individuals. You cannot have communion by yourself. I can have bread and wine by myself, but that's not having communion. It doesn't become communion until I step in the confines or the, the, the borders or whatever of the community of God until I recognize, and it forces me to recognize, to have this meal and to do it right, guess what? I need you, and you need me. And together as a community, we commune with God together. Thank you, Matt. When we were talking about sacraments, we said we wanted to share story as a way to to really drive that. But I want to roll back a little bit. Uh, Jeremy said we talk about commitment as a sacrament. I'm actually going to take that to connection. Let me tell you how I got there. It was referred to earlier. Historically, the church called this particular sacramental act confirmation, something Chuck's boys went through um, in a previous church. It's a time that's set aside to learn about the commitment you make as an adult become a part of this unity, this family of God. That's the idea behind confirmation within a particular tradition, within a particular denomination, that you're confirming your commitment as a full member of that community. In the early, in the early church, the bishop, it would be a religious leader over a particular section, he would actually come to do what these three things are called the initiation sacraments. They were baptism, confirmation, and communion, or Eucharist. And the first communion being a big deal. If you go all the way back to the 1300s, and I know some of you think I do, but I don't quite. The, the faith community, the church, big C, capital C, talked about this thing, confirmation as the sacrament of Christian maturity. It implied there was something else going on. It it was indeed an adult journey into our faith. It was not something handed to us. It was not something inherited. It was something that we decided to pursue as adults. That's the idea behind this process that many traditions still have to this day called confirmation. Now, as I said, we we said we were going to let this be story-driven. I'm going to invite some of you to help write my story portion of that. So if you're in the first three rows, which is actually, of course, we don't count the first row, on this side over here or over here, in the center aisle, there's a bucket with some plastic things inside of it. Here's what I'm going to ask. If you're the person, if you reach under your chair and pull it out, and if you're the person holding the bucket right now, please find one of these little round things. It has a variety of colors. That one's yours. Congratulations. Now pass the bucket to the left. 
It, it won't, to the left, or no, I'm sorry, this way, Lil. You're right, they're left. I'm so confused. Here's what I want you to do. I want you, you who took this little circular piece, pass the bucket the other way, the guys were going that way, and you're going this way. I knew this was going to be complicated. I want you to do this. Those of you who just took this little thing, the rest of you can take anything you want out of that bucket. I want you to hand it to the person next to you because they're going to insert whatever toy they picked up into this. And as you go down the aisle, I want you to make something. Okay? The person who's at the end of the aisle, whenever the final product gets to you, would you please, if you're on this side, come put it on this big speaker box over here. Okay? The final product when you've built it. And over there, there's a big speaker box next to Chuck, if you'd be kind enough to go put it over there. Okay? We good? So you're just handing it down, you're sticking stuff on here, you're connecting some tinker toys or something like that together. I'm going to keep talking about connection while you guys begin to play and build. And whenever you're done, just bring it up and put it up here on this speaker thing for me. That'd be great. One of the things that the act of confirmation did, this, this process of confirmation, it provided a common history. It's, it's a common understanding of what God is doing. A common understanding of the, of the theology of this, his church. A common understanding of maybe even the particular church or denomination they were a part of. The, the, the idea was, we need to tell a story that we are a part of a big church, capital C, the church that exists anywhere the body of Christ exists, but at the same time we're part of a little C church a particular specific community that you're connected with. You're connected in both, this big way as well as this individual sort of way. Paul puts it this way. He talks about this diversity in 1 Corinthians. It's interesting, Matt, that you just took us to 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to take us to 1 Corinthians 12. If you've got a Bible, pick it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the fourth verse. And I'm going to jump around just a little bit. It's a really familiar metaphor. For those of you who have been followers of Christ for a while or been in the church for a while, it's the body metaphor. Paul uses this in another letter to the church at Rome. He liked it so well, it worked so, there, so well, he worked in, into his Corinth letter too. And he talks about a body of interconnected parts. Allow me to read for us, verses 4 to 6. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. Let me continue down to verse 12. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we are all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one, the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and there is one body. There, there, are, different, there are differences and they're legitimate, Paul is telling us. The, the various members of the body, they're different. 
But the differences that Paul is addressing, they're, not, they are, they're in terms of our giftedness. They aren't sociological. They aren't even theological. He's talking about the different gifts, talents, and tasks that each of us have as part of this body. You know, nowhere in the New Testament does it suggest that different members of the body should live in isolation, that we should be independent of one another. The fact is we were built for community. The fact is, and I loved it, it's been one of our messages tonight that God has brought that we did not plan for. A reminder that God is a Trinitarian God. He is three in one. He himself lives in community. This symbol, the warehouse adopted many years ago now, is a beautiful picture because it's the triune symbol. It's a version of a triune symbol. Three in one, fully present, three entities, three expressions of God himself. It's complicated. It's hard to understand. But we were created by the triune God who lives in community for what then? For community. Because it's his very essence. For us to be less than community is for us to be less than faithful to why we've been created. This is really hard for those of us who are Westerners. This is particularly hard for those of us who've spent our whole life in America. We worship independence. God is all about interdependence. It is a very difficult lesson for us. And sometimes our theology really suffers for it because we put it through the lens of independence first, not interdependence, sometimes never. And often as we practice our faith, our faith that's described as, as bringing us in the many together that we might be one, what do we do? We practice it individually. And we can't have communion without the community. Paul, on the, on the other hand, his point is clear that we need to be a whole body if we're going to be healthy and functional. Don, Donald Miller, a theology professor whose writings I've really enjoyed reading over the years, um, wrote this in the book, The Nature and the Mission of the Church. There is a diversity within a large family. They have different aptitudes. They have different tastes. They have different personal characteristics. It would be a strange family nonetheless which would set up separate living arrangements to satisfy the peculiarities of every member of the family. In a real family, the diversity is held within the unity of the family. The family lives in the same house, eats together, carries forward its group activities as a unity, and in this way, the diversity enriches the whole family and each benefits from the other. By understanding who we are as a body of believers, members brought together into one body, we are uniquely created, my friends. You are uniquely created, and in turn, the body then is uniquely created by your contribution. Well, over here on the speakers, we have uh, some very cool pop art um, by some gifted artists who have helped us. Now, now as this, as this came together, it came from, both of these came from three separate rows of chairs, and some of you are sitting next to someone you know and maybe even someone you like. And you were probably pretty cool handing over your art project to them because they could be trusted because they're a friend. And if not, you could tell them how to like it that way, to put it the other way. But some of you just handed your gift, your art, your precious. <laughs> Sorry, TNT is running like back-to-back -back Lord of the Rings all week. Every time I change channels, I see Gandalf screaming at me. Um, but that's my issue. You handed over your special project to the person next to you and they added something to it and you just went, 
Yeah, what are they thinking? It's the body together, expressing giftedness differently, performing tasks uniquely, but not in isolation. Because God has not made us people for isolation. He has made us people to be interdependent. Connection. Confirmation. It's an invitation to become what, frankly, guys, we were all made for in the first place. To go deep, not to stay superficial. To commit to something significant that's about interdependence. But not to do it out of ignorance. The the confirmation or connection process was always about understanding and removing ignorance. It, It wasn't about manipulation. Well, in its best practice, it was never about manipulation. Some groups do use it as manipulation. God doesn't manipulate, He invites. Confirmation, connection, was always about an invitation to be part of the larger body, part of what God is doing, working at His purposes. Listen again to Paul in the passage that's been the focal point for all of these community Sundays all summer long. Hear hear this, and and here's what I want you to hear. I I want you to consider these art projects. Things with that they have different shapes and different sizes and, and, and different colors. That they were built differently. They were reconnected. These, these guys put all three together in their own creative way and somehow man, mangled the whole thing together. They got disconnected. They got reconnected. Something new and different came out of it. Listen to what Paul writes in the book of Ephesians. This passage we parked on this summer. See how it describes this. This work. And listen to this. Listen not just to how he describes those, all of us, who contribute, but I also want to challenge you to listen to God's Spirit in these words. And hear what He's saying to you about your connection. From Ephesians 4. This has been our passage all summer. It was He who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Think of these as some of the different pieces that just got assembled. And why were they brought together? Why did they need to be brought together? Paul continues. They were brought together to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Friends, connection is not an end in itself. It's a part of the end which is building us up toward that maturity in Christ that we may seek to achieve and reach the fullness of Christ in the fullness of time. Connection, it's for growth, it's for service, and it's a testimony as a sacrament. Like John 17, that high priestly prayer that Matt mentioned, that the world would see us in unity because the world can't explain unity. When we bring our diversity into unity, it is only possible through God. The community celebrates its unity through sacraments. One of those sacraments is communion. I want to invite Matt to come back up and lead us in a time of communion for the community. Albert's not here, so I decided to use an Albert-like tactic in his absence to kind of get us on the same page. So literally what I want you to do is I want you to look at your neighbor. 
And I want you to say this simple phrase. I can't do this Christian life without you. I can't do this Christian life without you. Now look at somebody else you didn't say that to. And say this. You can't do this Christian life without me. And you can't do this Christian life without me. And now we're going to share communion. Because we realize that we're in this together. So what we're going to do is we're just going to come into these two center aisles. And Jeremy and the band are going to play. And we're going to say the good old words. You're going to basically hear this is the bread of Christ. This is the blood of Christ. You simply just say amen and then partake of the elements. So let's have community together. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you're all about us. God, I thank you that you do. You reach out to the individual, Heavenly Father, but you move communities, you move nations, you move people. I thank you that you give us such an amazing example of what it means to live in community for you and yourself embody community. So Lord, help us to to step into community tonight. As we partake, Heavenly Father, of the bread, that we recognize your broken body for us, but we also understand that this broken body is not just for me, but it's for us as a community. And as we drink, the blood that was shed was just not for me as the individual, but for us as the community. And together we come and together we encounter you. We give it to you, Father God. Amen.